sessions was Pigs. <laughs> and he was on Pigs for a little while. Um, and we were watching a documentary about Pigs. I learned so much about animals through documentaries documentary for Sam. Um, we were watching a documentary about Pigs, and there's this one kind of pig called the Middle Pike from England, from Yorkshire. And um, it is very unique. I'll send you guys a picture to this picture later, but it is like the guy. So there's this British um, pig breeder who is who's teaching us about it, and he was like, "There is no in between this pig. Either you think it's the ugliest thing you ever saw, or you think it's beautiful." And uh, and I said, "Sam, what do you think?" It's beautiful. And um, I was just thinking about that again the other day about how. Um, God does not look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Um, and just like the beauty of a person's spirit made you God's image. Not their body, not your soul even. Like if you think of a soul as mind or emotions. Because we all know our minds go crazy and our wills go crazy and our emotions go crazy. Um, but the spirit and the image of God inside of them, and how much of a treasure it is, and how beautiful it is. Um, and I was just thinking about that, and just valuing the way that Sam sees things, and how he always has kind of seen that, um, that beauty, um, and how I want to be that kind of person too, who, who can, you know, just the beauty in the spirit that God has placed inside each person. Thank you, Rachel. Um, it's just so good. I was thinking about so many biblical examples from the Old Testament and New Testament, um, seeing how God sees. Um, well, in a moment, I'm going to call Karis to do announcements. And then after that, my kid brother, Mikey, and me are just going to talk. Michael had a subject on his heart regarding David and how we can relate right now uh, corporately to some of the story of David. So we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but first, before announcements and before the public conversation, we're going to call the kids to come down. Come on down, kids. I remember when Zeke used to be a kid. Now he's a manly man. His voice keeps getting lower. His body keeps growing higher. I know I might be a little bit biased, but I think you guys are the coolest kids. Yes. Just don't have the cap choke you. I think you guys are the coolest kids in the body of Christ. Okay? We don't want to compare, but I just that's just my statement, okay? Well, kids, today I'm going to talk about something that's in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's about your parents. We're going to talk about your parents. We won't talk about them behind their back because their faces are facing us, all right? Now, before we get into that, oh, I have something kind of like an announcement for you kids, all right? Special announcement. 
It's about protecting this building and protecting your bodies. Now, we want you guys to have fun when you come here. That's not our number one goal. Our number one goal is for you to actually experience God, Jesus, to feel his Holy Spirit, to know what he's feeling for you. That's our number one. But we really want you to have fun, too. So we've always put a high priority on you guys being free and enjoying your time with us. Now, but we want to make sure after our meeting ends that we don't have people jumping over the pews. That The pews are these things, okay? The benches. Jumping over the benches for two reasons, at least. Number one, the man who leads the church that meets here on Sunday morning, he's responsible for this building. And if we broke something like, you know, jumped over and there's some wood that's attached to the back of him that's a little bit lighter and we snapped it off, that wouldn't be the best way to love him. He'd be like, oh, man, I didn't want that to happen. And we'd be like, sorry. And all, all of us sometimes mess up and have to say, sorry. But it's better when we think about ahead of time, like, oh, you know what? I'm going to love that person and respect them so I don't have to say, sorry. Okay, so you guys I know we're going to do an awesome job and not jump over pews because even more important than breaking something in the building, I don't want you to break your face because your faces are awesome right now, okay? And if anybody breaks their face, you will see Mr. Travis weeping. Your face. So don't do it because you might break my face from crying. All right, so we got that taken care of. Now, related to that, there is a part in the Bible in the book of Exodus, and there's these commandments that were written in stone by the finger of God called the the Ten Commandments. Good. Now, did you know there's only one commandment that comes with a promise where God's saying, I I'm asking you. Well, actually, he's not asking. He's saying, do this. He says, do this 10 times. But there's one time he says, do this, and this is what will happen. Do you know which one that is? It's kind of crazy and strange. But the one commandment that comes with a promise is honor your father and mother. Honor your mom and dad. Then it will go well with you in the land. So, to honor, and I think your dad has talked to us about this, Solomon and Cohen, to honor is to give weight and importance and value to someone. So, when we honor our mom and dad, that means what they want for us is valuable, who they are is important, and we show them respect. Leon, I just want to call you out for your great attending skills right now. I mean, you're locked and loaded. The gaze is just, and you're even so enamored that your mouth is open. Bless you, little lion. So I want you guys to know that 
your parents are probably the most important people to you on the planet right now, but you know who is the most important person to you above the planet and also on the planet and all through the universe and up in heaven? Who is the most important person to you, even more than your parents? God. Jesus. God. You all got it right. And did you know that not only honoring your mom and dad will make them feel good, they'll be like, your dad will be like, that's my son. He's given me value, and I thank you, Lord. And I'll say, well, that's my daughter. She's giving me honor. I'm so thankful. <laughs> I use a lot of voices with her, and it's, and, and it's just in our house, but there's times when she's like, Dad, quit using that voice. Like, it's just you and me. All right. So your parents will really appreciate that. But more importantly, more importantly than your parents, you know what you'll, you know what you'll put on God's face? You won't break his face. What, you, what will you do to his face? If he looks down, he's looking at you. He already is, like, happy because you belong to him. But... If you honor your mom and dad, if you choose to, you know what you'll do to his face? Make him. Happy, you will make him happy. He's already a happy God. Because at his right hand are pleasures for more forevermore. There's joy like nothing else in his presence. But when he sees one of his children say, Yes, mom. Yes, dad. Or when you're not even around them, you know what? Mom and dad wouldn't want me to do this or they would want me to do this. So I'm not going to do what they don't want me to do and I'm going to do what they want me to. Okay? That doesn't make you more special. You're already special. It doesn't earn you God's love. But it puts a bigger smile on his face. So your parents feel good the most amazing thing is God gets happy. And don't forget about the last one. Your life will be set up in a better place. Do you have a question? Just an arm stretch. Yeah, sometimes we got to do those. All right. So we're going to say, we're going to break it down after I pray on honor parents. Okay, Father, thank you for each of these kids. What a gift they are. I pray, Father, that you would show them your smile, firstly, just because they belong to you, and then let them feel your smile when they do what pleases you. Help us all honor you, Father, and honor our parents. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Do you want to do it quiet? Okay. We're going we're gonna to honor you, big guy. <laughs> all right. Honor parents on three. One, two, three. Honor parents. Dude, you make me smile. All right, thanks, kids. Well, Karis, Hannah, Miller Span is going to come and form us. Announce the good news. Good news of dwelling. Thank you.
right. So, so far we have, um, it looks like maybe four, possibly five baptisms at the luau. So if you would like to be five or six or seven or eight, please let us know. August 26th is the luau. Um, and also, please let me know what you want to bring. So far, we're going to be eating a lot of pork and pasta, so, which is great. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy with pork and pasta, but um, let me know what you'd like to bring for that. And that will be in place of the worship meeting here, okay? So 5 p.m., Uncle Tim and Aunt Debbie's house, pool, baptisms, delicious food, and fellowship. Um, okay, if you want to do child care, please let me know. And if you have some ideas about child care, please let me know. Just talking about, um, so I put together these little bags, they're not done yet, that have the kids' names on them. Um, just through fifth grade, so Zeke, you still get to have one, but it's going to be cool and older, you know. Um, but I'm going to put some things in, but parents can also put some things in, and we will just leave them here. And I was thinking they'd just be for, like, age kind of, like, two and up, maybe one and up if the kids start playing with things, like, regularly. But um, when they can start, like, really coloring and stuff, I think it'd be a good age to start the bags out. And may, that could be something that they could have then more often in their pews also, depending on whether or not we have volunteers that week or if parents just want them to be able to have a bag. So we'll be their very own stuff. So that's a little idea. Come on in. <laughs> um, another idea that I was thinking about is that maybe we would transition like talking time to um, the teaching time when we have like kids supervision, maybe we transition that to more of like a nursery time when, when kids go back so that it would just be like the younger kids, maybe like third and up would stay and listen during the teaching time. And then it would be the younger ones if their parents wanted them to go somewhere. They needed a little bit of extra support during that time. So that's another idea too. So if you're a parent and you're like, Hmm, I've got some thoughts about your thoughts. Please let me know. Um, if you're like, oh, that sounds great. If you're like, oh, I'm not sure if it would work because of this, just go ahead and let me know. Just kind of brainstorming about what would be good for our kids this next season. Um, okay, so that's the kids' stuff. Um, okay, home churches, if you're praying about starting one in your home and maybe even facilitating it too, let us know, please. We're still going to have um, Uncle Tim and Aunt Debbie's going on. Are you continuing through the fall? Yes. <laughs> Two thumbs up. And we're going to still have the ladies' home church going on throughout the fall also. So two thumbs up, too. <laughs> um, okay. Asbury's starting back. Let's be praying for them. Their archways, I think, already even started, which is like their pre-adventure wilderness trek. Um, biggest class, incoming class for the past 10 years. So that's a big deal. That's really, really cool to see this many students coming back out to Asbury and just be praying for the ones who are already there and then the ones who are returning or coming back for the first time. Um, oh, also coming for the first time soon is... 
Zoe. <laughs> We're clapping already because we know she's coming. <laughs> so obviously Gloria is pregnant and she is due this week. We've been praying for her to come earlier, but um, it, she may not and she may come late. So if you'd like to make a freezer meal, so before baby comes, you can give it to me and we'll store it in our freezer. That way they've got like a bunch of family coming in at different times They and they don't have the freezer room really. So that way I can just bring them something. And then when the baby comes and she actually needs the meals made, we'll set up a meal train. Okay. So text me if you want to do a freezer meal and then don't worry about the meal train yet because I haven't set it up yet because the baby's not here yet. Okay. Capiche. Um, I think that's it. Anybody else have some announcements that need to be spoken? So good to have so many of you back after the summer. I was talking to Natalie. Do you guys know that Natalie was out hiking in Europe over the summer? <gasps> she was living all of our dreams. <laughs> well, at least one of mine. <laughs> yes, Joseph. Okay. Okay. So, like, you're going to, like, pickle things and dry things for people? Okay, so if you want things pickled, dehydrated, frozen, preserved, please give them to Joseph. If you want them eaten, I will take some. <laughs> okay, anything else? Okay. All right, Mikey, come on down. Oh, one thing that came to my mind regarding meals for the bards. Um, John Edward, in all seriousness, is a man after my own heart, like all around, um, very, very uniquely so. But he's also a man after my own hunger, okay? He eats. So whatever you were thinking about quantity size, go ahead and at least double it. That's not even counting the family that's going to be there, okay? You have to see to believe what the man can eat. And it takes a lot to impress me. Okay. I mean, he, we've seen him down two full frozen pizzas, regular size in one setting. Yeah. I've never seen that before. I've seen him eat like mounds of pasta and like the, the next portions are the same and the same. Well, okay, we could go on. It's imp he's impressive in many ways. All right, Mike. Um, take it away and I'll kind of I'll be responsible for monitoring the time but um, so yeah so I talked to Travis a while ago um, and about wanting to talk about what I kind of perceive God doing right now on earth here in America um, okay um, and so I have about five questions for Travis but there are some sub-questions sub to my questions. So uh, we'll see if we can get done in 45, less than 45 minutes, about 45 minutes. It's going to be tough, but we'll try to stay on point. So I've kind of titled this, uh, and I think that, you know, what Rachel said earlier, and, and Nicholas prayed something over me, and so I think what they said was very prophetic and accurate. Um, I've titled it A Davidic Time because I, I really feel and believe that we are in a Davidic time right now, and we'll kind of break down as I ask Travis what that means, what that looks like. So, without further ado, so one of the, the 
my most favorite parts in Scripture is 1 Samuel chapter 16 is when Samuel comes and anoints David. And it says in, in, when, when Samuel anoints him, it says that the Spirit of God rushed upon David in power. And then we know after that, you know, David killed a bear with his bare hands, killed a lion with his bare hands, and killed Goliath. So I'm going to kind of give that preface and ask you, Travis, so can you kind of discuss right now with us what an anointing is and who has an anointing? Good question. I, I purposefully told him not to tell me anything about what he was going to talk about because I just wanted to answer um, right off the cuff. I believe it, an anointing in a simple, concise definition is power from God to complete a certain task. Jesus Christ was the Messiah or the anointed one or literally the smeared one, as in smeared with oil, because he was supernaturally empowered for a specific mission. So that's what I would describe it as far as um, in really simplistic terms. There's a lot we could say about that. The second part, who has an anointing? In the Old Testament, God chose certain people to be anointed as soldiers or warriors. He anointed some to be prophets. He anointed some to be craftsmen. As a matter of fact, the first person mentioned who was filled with the Spirit um, but was Bezalel. And he was anointed to do the artwork, the craftsmanship with the tabernacle. So, um, in the New Testament, we have all been freely offered the Spirit of God. And... I believe we can look at the New Testament anointing in two ways, at least. But again, I'm just wanting to be simple and concise. Um, I don't even know if I've ever said this stuff like this. I'm just That's why I wanted to hear it. The anointing that, the first part of the anointing that we all have is God's spirit within us to do what Jesus promised the spirit would do to teach us all things, to lead us into all truth, to remind us of the words that Jesus has spoken to us in the Bible, but also what he's spoken to our hearts. We have an anointing, and John pointed this out in his letters. Um, John the Apostle, or John the Beloved, he said, you don't need a human to instruct you, but the anointing will teach you all things. Now, I've said this before that God absolutely wants to use humans to instruct other humans. But if it's not through his anointing, they, we don't really need it. It can be helpful or help things go better to have good advice or self-help it can improve certain parts of your life but it's not a need 
What we need is the anointing. What you need is the anointing to teach you. And he says, also, he says, and you all have an anointing. So we all have an anointing, anyone who's come into Jesus by his blood. The second part, beyond the teaching and instruction part of the anointing that's within you, I believe everyone has an an anointing upon them. Like Isaiah said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, up on me. That is not just the instruction. That is the power to complete your mission. Every person has a mission. Every person in Ephesians, it says, was created to do good works that God prepared beforehand. So when, before you were born through your mama, God already knew what works he wanted to do through you. And when he brought you into the earth, and when you said yes to Jesus and received his spirit, in that process, he's like, all right, you have an anointing within you, and I'm putting an anointing upon you. And the last thing I would say about that is God awakens that power of the anointing. God puts the dynamite on it and his timing. So like 20, I was going to say 20 minutes, two minutes, excuse me. So two minutes because, because this is going to segue into my next question for you. So kind of to encapsulate that last, what is an anointing and who has an anointing, kind of bring it back to David. What were the implications? Because I think, I believe David and some of you scholars may correct me. I know that David was anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, he was anointed in Hebron to be king of Judah and anointed in Jerusalem to be king over Israel. So at least three anointings that we know of, maybe more, I don't know. Um, so what were the implication, maybe just two minutes, of David's anointing? What, was the, what were the implications to help him accomplish what he needed to accomplish? I think that's good because although we do all have uh, a capital A anointing, which would represent the power for our whole mission, there are different times where God pours out anointings as a part of that, like bullet point anointings. And so we see David's first anointing was to be a superhero shepherd. And then that got him ready to be a superhero giant slayer. It was that same anointing from Samuel that empowered him to take care of the sheep like nobody's business. And kill lions and bears with his bare hands. And then his second anointing in Hebron at age 30 empowered him to rule over a section of Israel. To rule over Judah and do the things God had called him to do in that reign, in that kingship. But then he was anointed as king over all Jerusalem. And that was kind of the pinnacle of David's call to be the shepherd of millions of people rather than than just hundreds or thousands of sheep. So there's a progressive anointing where he's getting more and more authority, more and more power to complete the works prepared for him. So the second subsection of questions is going to be transfer of wealth. And I put in parentheses stewardship because I want to bring it back to the Bible because all of these principles I believe we're talking about, and as Travis just referenced, can be directly correlated to Scripture. And that's what we want to do is to to ground this 
belief in what God's doing in, in the Bible. Um, so this idea of transfer of wealth we see with God taking from the Saul household and giving to the David household. Okay, So Travis, I guess what I'd like for you to discuss is, can you ultimately, can you touch on ultimately what led God from taking from the Saul household and giving to the David household? And uh, how do we see that principle playing out today? So maybe just answer the first part. What ultimately led God taking from the Saul household and then giving it to, as Rachel said, a man after his own heart? Well, I think God knew what was going to happen with Saul's unfaithfulness, and he knew what was going to happen with David's faithfulness. In fact, God spoke through Samuel and said, the Lord has found someone, Saul. He is better than you. Um, basically, his heart is in the right place, so he will handle things better than you. He said that about David when he was a teenager, and it wouldn't be for quite a long time before David would actually show that he was better at handling the kingdom. But part of the kingdom of Israel was having authority over lots and lots of money, lots and lots of valuables. And ever since Israel came out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt like with millions of dollars. They had the valuables of the Egyptians who were probably the most prosperous people on the earth at that time. And the Egyptians were so like intimidated, they gave them all these valuable um, relics and whatever, stuff. Gold. In fact, you see how much money and how much valuables um, were owned by the Israelites when Moses called the people to donate for the building of God's work. And at one point, have you ever heard about this in a ministry? <laughs> Moses is like, whoa, whoa, stop bringing so much money. We have enough. You've deluged us in gold. Okay? So God knew that David was going to handle the gold better than Saul. And so God had that plan when man wanted a man king, Israel in their flesh wanted a man king, God's like, well, the man king thing's not going to work, but I have a God king, a one who is going to walk with me, and he will be faithful. He will be faithful. And so God says in the New Testament, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. So since David had a heart for God and a heart after God, his heart was able to handle the treasure, the greatest treasure of the knowledge of God, but also the treasure that helped Israel prepare for their mission. Ultimately, their blessing and their millions and millions and even billions of dollars was so they could have a place, they could build a beautiful place that would be a beacon for the earth. So God wanted to transfer the wealth from the one who could not handle it and could not accomplish God's mission and could not lead the people of Israel into being that light for the world. He's like, okay, I'm going to give it to my boy David and he is going to lead the people in being a light for the nations. 
And I think it's really relevant because you see that play out in Scripture when Jesus talks about the parable of the talents, when he says, you know, I'm going to take from those who think they have something, but they really don't. I'm going to take from them and give to someone who is stewarding well. So I think you see that too play out when Jesus references the, the parable of the talents as well. Um, so that was a great explanation. And I think, I mean, you could, you could have a, a series of sermons about that. Um, so Travis, how is that, that principle? So taking from the household of Saul, in, in the household of Saul, I'll let you explain this, but so I could easily start trying to opine myself. So how, how do we see that playing out today? Like God taking from the household of Saul and giving it to those who he's anointed to carry out what his plans are for right now in America, since we're in America, but also in the globe. Like, in, I know this, this, you could probably talk a long time about this, but maybe a few minutes of how that is playing out and what the implications are uh, with that currently. Yeah, there has been um, a lot of prophetic people in the body of Christ for decades now who have been talking about their conviction that God is going to take the wealth of the world and the power and influence they have with that money, he who has the money has the power, there is a degree of accuracy to that statement. How God is going to remove the wealth of the wicked, those who don't want to walk in God's ways, and give it to the faithful Davids. So I think that's going to be... it. You know, God is going to, he says in the Bible that he is going to dazzle the nations. He is going to astound people. Kings and powerful people will shut their mouths at what God does. And part of that is absolutely related to what's going to be done with money, with currency, with value. And I believe God's going to take from the unrighteous movie industry, the unrighteous music industry, the unrighteous pharmaceutical and healthcare um, element of our culture, and he is going to put it into the hands of David-hearted artists, David-hearted healthcare, Luke-type physicians who loved the Lord and were faithful. So I believe he's going to do that, and it's going to be a big display. But judgment always begins in the house of the Lord. And I believe we have already seen some of this, but it's not been really powerfully demonstrated, where God transfers the wealth within the church to the David-hearted leaders. We've seen a little bit of this, but... I believe he is going to transfer billions of dollars within the church to a group of Davids who have been hidden and prepared and trained through the persecution of the Saul spirit. And they are going to use that money, like earthly valuables, to accomplish the mission of God. But the greatest wealth and treasure i believe god is delivering to his davids the unprecedented knowledge knowing of god himself he is the treasure 
In him are hidden all the treasures. He is the pearl of greatest price. So I believe God is actually going to shepherd his people through his Davids. And again, these leaders are going to be guys, girls. They're going to, some of them are going to be younger. Some of them will be older. But they're going to be a new breed. They're going to be something the earth has never seen. And to, be, to make it really simple, they are going to be filled with the treasure of everything, Jesus. And because of that, Jesus Christ, who is living through them, he's a really good steward. And he, in his leadership, is going to steward the billions of dollars that he's bringing to his church so we can be that beacon like never before. And it's interesting, as you were saying that, it seems like there's just this, there's, there, there's, a, there's this connection between knowing Jesus and being trained and knowing him and then being able to steward something tangible. It's like, how, is, how can God entrust something important and execute his plans if someone hasn't been trained or properly uh, molded into the person he believes can actually facilitate something he wants to do? You know? So anyway, that's, that was really well said. Uh, so we're going to transition to the next subsection, which is a perfect. Travis, uh, you, you touched a lot on the idea of wealth, and I'm really glad you talked about just the most important wealth, which is knowing Jesus. Um, so the second, or the third subsection is the kingdoms of the world have now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And that's actually taken from the book of Revelation. So a lot of people right now who have seen spiritually into the current state of just America, but also the world, understand that we're living in a type of Babylon system. You can also say, you know, an Egyptian type system. But Babylon being something that, uh, if you look in the Old Testament, had a lot of control over the assets and really took from the household of God, and God gave his people into Babylon, okay? So, Travis, in the current state of just us being in Babylon right now, and also I just want to touch really quickly on what Travis said. I also want you all to realize there are, like, certain mountains of influence that have a lot of influence in culture, but also, and I'm going to have you talk more about this here in a little bit, I want you all to know that you may not feel called into a quote-unquote mountain of influence that seems really, really important, and I'm going to have him discuss this more, but your anointing and what you're called to is extremely important and uniquely characteristic to fulfilling an absolute necessary call God has for planet Earth and what he's doing right now. So just want to make sure I, I articulate that. So... I'm just going to go ahead and read this. So why does the Lord care about filling the areas of influence with his anointed? And how has the enemy deceived the church into believing we shouldn't engage with our anointing to stake claim in these areas? Do I need to read that again? Or do you want me to break it down into, into two? I think I, I, think I okay. remember it. So. Michael started with a verse from Revelation. It says, the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. God wants to possess the kingdoms of the earth. We can look at it. We could call it kingdoms. We can call them mountains, mountains of influences. We could call them high places. We could call them culture shapers. 
the things like government, the economic system, the health care, the arts and entertainment, and many other areas of influence, um, some being higher than others. God wants his people to be his little kings of those mountains. Um, David took the stronghold of Zion. He took the mountain of Zion from the Jebusites. And that area in Jerusalem, it became the greatest influencer ever in the history of mankind. It is still the most hotly contested and battled over region on the planet because that's where God's presence and his plan shined forth most clearly and most powerfully. So God wanted to possess Israel. He even called them his special or treasured possession. He wanted to possess them so that they could possess the nations. Now, they misunderstood that sometimes. Like, they thought that they were going to militarily subdue people. And, like, uh, in, in the Old Testament, God did call them to subdue at times. But his final goal wasn't for Israel to have all the nations in sheep pens and be like, we own you. His goal was for them to possess these nations and these areas of culture, these ethnos, these different ethnicities, possess them for the Lord, that they would too become the possession, the treasure possession of God. And God's heart is still the same today. He wants to possess Kenya. He wants to possess Ethiopia. He wants to possess Czechoslovakia. Does that still exist, Czechoslovakia? The Czech Republic, formerly known. He wants to possess every place on the earth, every nation, but also he wants to possess the high places that are in those nations that shape the way we think. And this is not really even debatable. America has been the leader for centuries in shaping the way the world thinks in the direction the world goes. So he really is focused on America and the high places in America because he knows the gift and call of America is irrevocable, just like his gift and call for other nations. But I've said this before. I believe he's called America to play a frontline role in being a foot washer. That's how we possess nations for God. We possess through the power of foot washing, the power of serving other nations. And that's how the little kings who are ruling on the mountains, it's the upside down kingdom. So these kings on top of the mountain, instead of being like, I'm king of the mountain, which is the way the world works and much of Christianity works. I'm the apostle over this region. Huh. I am the prophet who's gone to heaven 764 times, at least 54 more times than this guy. All right. Now, I don't mean to disparage the prophetic and the apostolic, not at all. But we've all, all of us, have been in a degree of carnality. But instead, these kings, these rulers and leaders, these David hearts, are going to be on top of the mountain in placement, but they're going to be face first in the dust, washing feet in practice. 
Because the greatest among you, the one with the most authority, will be the slave of all. And Jesus spoke about that, the greatness, while he was washing their feet. So that's, God wants to put his Davids, his foot washers, in the greatest place of influence because he wants to wash the feet of the nations. And when these people are in influence, God's heart of agape for all, he, he desires that no one would perish. He knows if he has his people on the highest places, shining the brightest, that'll reach the most people. It's his love. It's his love that wants the high places to be taken. Because the higher the place, the greater the example of God. This is, I think this is so important. This is something that I am just unequivocally passionate about. And if I'm wrong, then God, please show me. Because I feel like, and I'm going to read something real quick, Travis, and I'm going to just give a, a quick little analysis that I want to ask you a follow-up question. Um, in Matthew chapter 4, we see that Satan's tempting Jesus. And at one point, he... Uh, it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So I'm thinking to myself, if Jesus, who was God, but also the greatest human who ever walked the planet, I believe that Satan and demons can like sense anointings and can sense like power, especially the power of God on someone. So obviously, we know there's a certain measure of authority that God has allowed Satan to have as he's called the prince of the power of the air and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So if Satan was offering the kingdoms of the world to Jesus, I'm thinking, does he not do that to human beings? Has he not done that since the creation of the world? Has he not done that? And, and falsely given a fake anti-anointing to others who have cooperated with his will, you know, I think wittingly, but sometimes unwittingly. So if that's the case, if we have people who are cooperating with Satan, with his kingdom, because both kingdoms are clashing, right? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. So if Satan has given his agents authority in these areas of influence, and it says in 1 John that Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. You know, do we not think that God's not going to eradicate any influence, any real estate that Satan has tried to occupy? So my question is, Travis, like, can you talk briefly about how it's important for us to understand this is a spiritual battle and these areas of influence have been controlled for a long time by Satan and his agents to do his bidding to try to thwart what God wants to do. So I guess, yeah, my question is, could you just touch on that really briefly and why it's important for us to understand it's very uh, saturated, uh, these areas of influence with the enemy and his agents. There's one part in one of the Gospels where Satan is offering Jesus the kingdoms of the earth, and he says, I can give them because they've been given to me. So, we see some important theology there that 
Satan was given the kingdoms of the world, and they were given to him by humans agreeing with him rather than agreeing with God. And God allowed it for his purposes. Jesus, with his death and his blood and his resurrection, he took the keys back, okay? But he wants to give those keys, the influence to his people so they can possess the doors, the lands, the high places. Jesus is holding the keys. He could take all those things back, no problem. But he's always desired to work with his people to possess places. And it is a spirit of fear and a spirit of deception to say, oh, the, the, the wicked government, the wicked, I mean, they are wicked. But let's do something about it. Are, are we just going to let the Philistines, ah, oh, Philistines, I mean, we're the people of God. We're not here to cut their heads off or blow them away with, you know, assault rifles. <laughs> Although some people are ready to do that and I feel them. I don't agree with them, but I feel them because they're like, we don't want to live under this oppression. But we don't live by the sword of the world. Our weapons are not carnal and with physical triggers. Our weapons are mighty in God for the tearing down of strongholds and taking captive thoughts, mindsets, worldviews, and making them obedient to the King, Jesus Christ. We are called to demolish strongholds and to get rid of anything that exalts itself on a mountain against the knowledge, the knowing of God. The knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so if we are through a spirit of fear, through a spirit of laziness, slothfulness, through our own stubborn will, trying to cut and paste some Bible verses say, well, we'll just let the world go to hell in a handbasket. And I'll just keep standing here in my prayer meeting and worshiping God in my way. Rather than letting God do what he wants to in us so we can be mountain possessors. So we can possess the nations. God said to Amos that he was going to raise up the tabernacle of David again. In these days, he's raising up a place of God's presence. Why? So we can possess the nations. And again, that possessing is so we can give them as the possession to Jesus. So yeah, there's a spiritual battle. Michael quoted this verse too, and I'm glad he did. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's quite a statement from John in his old wise age. He's like, I've been taught this. Jesus showed me this. The whole world lies under the influence, the thinking of the devil. Are we just going to like let it be like that? No, for the glory of God, because he's great, because we want to show it that he's not the God who's like, I can't get the earth back. I can't get the influence. I wish I was back in the days of Solomon when like the nations came and said, look how great God is. <laughs> Those were the good old days when I was a powerful God. <laughs> or at least I had some humans who would agree with me. Nobody agrees with me anymore. No. He's a sovereign God who always increases his government and his peace. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. We're not going to look back at Solomon and say, oh, man, I wish. We're going to say, thank you, God, for that. Now do it a million times more. Because he gives that as a breadcrumb Wet our appetite for the feast. So, yeah, 
He wants the whole world to lie under the sway of the mind of Christ Jesus. And if we are going to just check out and say, well, let's just wait till Jesus returns in bodily form. That is a spirit of fear. That is rebellion. That is deception. That is our stubborn will resisting what God wants. We're robbing him of his glory and greatness because when he gets influence in the earth, it's glory. He's exalted. But even more important than the exalting, and even the, the reason for the exalting is so that people can be touched, that people can be brought in, that people can be possessed by God, that they can be taken from the possession of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into light. If the light is so small under a bushel in a prayer meeting and not out there like dominating the Hollywood type places way beyond what Hollywood has influenced. And instead of the billions of dollars that the porn industry creates, billions and billions of dollars of righteousness, joy in the Holy Spirit. So God wants the high places. He wants us to be the keys. This is not a matter of, oh, I got to, because we think we have to do all this stuff and claiming a mountain just seems too hard. No wonder we hide out in our prayer meeting. He gets us. He gets us. But he's saying, look, this is how much I want you to rest. You're my key. I pick you up. That, a key doesn't work too hard. Okay? I pick you up and I unlock the doors that you are called to unlock. Or you could say, you're my flag that I stick on top of the mountain. You don't have to pull an Iwo Jima and with your strength. Praise God for the way he helped our nation do things like that to get us to this place. But he's saying, you're my flag. I'm going to plant you. Flags don't work hard. You are my battle axe, he said to Jeremiah. Battle axes don't work hard. But they sure do an effective job. That was awesome. Um, And just to confirm what Travis said about keys, I was back there sitting with Morgan, and Leif Jacob had these keys, and he was, like, giving them to us. I, I, I really felt, I'm like, I feel like what's happening, I just felt this in my spirit, like God giving me the keys to something. And so that was really accurate. I think Leif Jacob is will be a very prophetic person as he continues to grow. Um, so we have two more questions. Uh, the last number five question will be shorter, so I think we may make it. So four. We're going to make it, I believe. Yep, I believe. <laughs> so, so, Travis, you mentioned about dominion. And I, I think that to me, I, I was thinking before or during worship, what maybe was like the first empowerment or the first declaration God gave man and the anointing for all of us to have? And I looked at that in, in, in the first chapter of Genesis. God says in, in, in verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and, o- and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Over all the earth. Okay, so if when Jesus came, Jesus came, shed his blood, and so in a sense, we're actually in a greater place than Eden. If you can believe that, it's kind of strange. I heard someone say that to me once, one of my spiritual mentors, and, and it hit me. I'm like, anyway, that's, that's a different topic. But 
I feel like that's really important, you know, segueing into our next question. So we know who we are is, is, the, is number, number four, basically, our fourth topic. And when I think about we know who we are, the anointing, I think of Peter and Paul. They knew they were an apostle. Paul said that. I'm an apostle. That's who I am, right? Moses knew he was a del- deliverer, okay? Gideon knew he was a warrior. That's what God said to him. You are a mighty warrior. Like, what? I'm a mighty warrior. Uh, David knew who he was, okay? So these anointings, uh, Lydia knew who she was in the New Testament. Okay, so you see different anointings, different callings people had that may seem inconsequential, but Lydia in the New Testament in Acts served a, a, very, a very important purpose. Okay, so my question is, Travis, so since God doesn't make mistakes and his anointings are real, the callings of God are not ambiguous, how can we come into agreement with our anointing? And this is the second part I think is really important. I think you've touched on this before, but I think it's super important. How can we come into agreement with our anointing and not try to chase after one out of the fear of missing out or out of trying to control? And, and maybe you want to reference Saul hiding in the tombs as a, you know, as a part of that question. I'm going to go back to the word of God and make it really simple because God wanted it to be simple. Verse 28 talking uh, about Adam and Eve. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Conquer it. Take dominion over it. God wants us to be fruitful and multiply. This is basically the same thing as his people being elevated so they can bear more fruit They can multiply and have more children spiritually and that God would fill the earth with his dominating power. And we know when he dominates, he dominates and the result is liberty. The carnal human and the devil dominates and the result is slavery and oppression. When the Lord dominates, liberty, freedom. So God first wants us to start right here what it says in Genesis. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants each of us to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth. You have a section of earth to subdue that's different than mine. We all have our own little, it's the promised land of John Edward, the promised land of Debbie. There's, you have your own promised land. Everybody in that was out in the desert that came into the promised land, they got their own sections of land. God was giving out real estate from the beginning. He has a section of land for you. The first thing before you get all complex and figure out what you are, how you're going to do it, what all that, just simply, he wants to start with faith. And he's holding out the truth. He's like, will you accept this, that I have real estate for you? Will you accept this, that I have called you to subdue a certain part of the earth? I think you'd start there. Will you accept that I want you to be fruitful and multiply? Would you please agree with me on that? If we would agree there, I think the rest will fall into place. Because we'll come into agreement that God has created us to subdue, to bear fruit, And then he'll say, okay, now that you agree on my heart for that, let me give you some bullet points about you and about what I've called you to. But I think real simple, let's just believe the word of God. And again, there's a lot to support that. But that was before sin. 
You think God changed his mind? No. He said, I'm going to let human free will and the devil come in here. I'm going to let them mess things up. And then I'm going to accomplish that first thing anyway as a greater glory to myself. Two and a half minutes. Oh, my goodness. This is getting intense. So, okay, 60 seconds. Do this in 60 seconds. So, so how can we, because I think sometimes people, they know they're, okay, they agree with the anointing. I have an anointing from God. God's spirit lives in, in me. I believe God is calling me to a certain purpose. How can we not try to over-assert ourselves in attaining that by fearing that we're going to miss out? Because I think a lot of times we, we're propelled in a sense of trying to do something because we feel something in our spirit. We feel a zeal. We feel a passion to get involved in the injustices we see. How can we avoid trying to over-assert over ourselves and trying to manipulate or even control the anointing God's given us? I know it may, may be longer than 60 seconds, but we have like two minutes left, so maybe a minute and a half. Anything that we do beyond yes, Lord, is works of the flesh. And even our yes, Lord, even our Mary, Jesus' mom's moment, be it done to me according to the will of God, I say yes. Anything beyond that is striving and works. Paul said, woe is me if I don't do all this preaching, because this is what he gave to me. So it's simply, again, in agreement with the thing that God has created me for something, prepared me for works beforehand, and then you wait on the Lord. And waiting sometimes is taking little steps. But it's, it's really just a yes to, Lord, I believe you're great enough to show me. I believe you're like David said, you guide me into the right paths for the sake of your name. Because that works and that struggle is still out of fear. So just a, and you can pray your way there. Lord, help me say yes. Help me yield. Help me not be like striving. But other than that, it's just like, Lord, you've created me for a purpose. You know the plans you have for me, just like Jeremiah knew. You created him in his mother's womb for a specific purpose. What have you created me for? Because our way won't cut it. But he knows we mess up like David and Moses. Moses was trying to be a deliverer and murdered somebody. God's like, oh, but we're not doing it that way. You got deliverer in your bones, but you don't have to carry it out by your own hands. And, and la the last question, which, I mean, and really you touched on a lot right there, which you know, I think can answer this, but so as, as we leave, and I think a lot of times what perplexes us is we, some people are more practical, more logical than others, and so they're calculating on, you know, what, what I can do in a good way to facilitate this. And I think you kind of touched on our spiritual posture. So in the current climate today, seeing spiritually and, and how things happening in culture, things happening around the world can easily pull us to want to react, and I know for myself, it's so easy to react and to respond based upon what we're seeing right now in the country and around the world because a lot of crazy stuff are, are happening. Can you basically, Travis, just to end, one, kind of a two-pronged question, one, any practical steps we all can take to just to, to cooperate with what God's saying to us? Like what practical things can we do, maybe even like tangible things we can do? And then secondly, to end, 
based upon what we're seeing right now in culture and, and how ominous the signs are, right, and how easily it could be like, man, I really believe we're, we're coming underneath the judgment of God based upon what we're seeing. And I get why people say that. I totally do. Uh, and I'm not saying I have 100% figured it out. I know I haven't for sure. But how can we, knowing what's going on right now, what can we do to, to spiritually stay in tune with what God's doing in the spiritual realm that may not necessarily look like it's happening in the natural realm yet? How can we make sure to stay in that place of seeing in the spirit and not responding in the natural? To close. All right. It was uh, coming to me a real simple scriptural uh, double connected example. It's appropriate because Bartimaeus, he could not see, and he said, son of David, have mercy on me. He's like, Jesus is like, what do you want me to do for you? It's like, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus gave him sight. The other seeing that I thought of was when Saul was transferred into the kingdom of light and became Paul. God helped him see. Now, he had a bright, brief period where he was totally blind, kind of like the example of how he was blind in his life before. I believe if we can position ourselves like these two things, one is just we got to realize it's a sovereign. Paul wasn't like, like I'm out. on. Hey, Paul was on his high horse leading people on the road. Yeah. And God got him. Bartimaeus was on the road. Uh, uh, I want to see. I think if we can have both of those postures, that is the safe place. And it's interesting to tie a bow on all of this, how both of those examples, Bartimaeus said, son of David, the one who's like David, can you help me see like David? Can you help me see how I am a David? Can you help me see like David did what he was called to do? He knew. I want to see. And beyond, and most important, help me see what David saw. He saw you. The Lord is ever before me. I have set him at my right hand. There's one thing I want to do. I want to gaze at Yahweh. I want to see him as he is. If we stay in that humble Bartimaeus place, I want to see. I want to see like David saw. And then the, the New Testament version of David is Paul because he came out of Saul into Paul. David came out of Saul into, the, into David. And Paul, again, was sovereignly apprehended. So you got these two wings. Can you hold this mic for me? You got these two wings where the one is on your left, okay? Your weak arm. Some of you are left-handed and it's on your right. Your weak arm is this. Lord, have mercy on me. Son of David, I want to see. I'm blind. I'm destitute. I cannot do anything. I can't figure out my calling. I am nothing. I can't get things right. The things I don't want to do, I do. Lord, help me, blind Bartimaeus, see. Every one of us is blind Bartimaeus. And we got to have that. And then we act out of, we groan out of that. God comes to the groans of his people. We groan as Bartimaeus. Don't make it complicated. I just want to see. I want to see you. I want to see what you see when you look at me. And I want to see what I'm supposed to do. 
And then the other side, that's our right arm. Our strength is this. Here's your strength to believe in God's sovereignty. You start and end with this. Then yeah, sandwich in the middle, you do your part and cry out. Okay? I want to see, Lord. But this is the right arm. I'm going to knock you off your high horse. I'm going to blind you with my light. And you might be confused for a little while, but then you'll wake up and be like, I'm Paul, which means little. I'm a little king. On top of the mountain that God has made for me. This is my mountain. Paul said, I know what I am. We were all called to be slaves, bond slaves of God. Bond slaves. Paul knew he was a servant, a bond servant. And that's what qualified him to steward things like a son. It's interesting, just to, just to add something quick. It's like, don't be surprised when God begins, as, as you take the posture Travis talked about, when I see in Scripture God showing up to human beings and telling them, this is who I see you as, there's that immediate like, wait a second, what? So I, I think it's okay to have this like kind of check and, and I would say not to agree with, with your thoughts and delegitimizing yourself. One of my friends said recently, who are you to argue with God? with what God's doing in your life, what God's calling you to. It's true. So I guess my encouragement with what Travis said is don't, obviously we're all going to question at times because we're humans, but don't allow your skepticism with what God is saying to fuel how you respond to that. Just accept it. Just ask for grace to accept what God is saying about you because when you ask who you are before God, I guarantee you he's going to give you the answer. He will. Let's close with prayer. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, you are Lord over the whole earth, and you are Lord of us. We don't create our own destinies. You did that way, way before time began. We just want to see. And Lord, convict us in our hearts that what we see, it should be in, in, in its substance impossible, that you are impossibly good that we are impossibly beautiful to you and that our mission is absolutely impossible for us to accomplish. So I bless our people here. I bless your people, your possession, to perceive the impossibility because that's a good recipe to just throw up your hands and surrender or throw up your hands in punch drunk love and awe of the agape of, of God. So, Lord, I bless them with the God of the impossible, and I bless them to be like blind Bartimaeus and to be believe that you are the God, the sovereign of Saul, the sovereign of Saul. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we were eight minutes behind. Y'all have an awesome night, and um, we look forward to seeing you next week. We look forward to the teaching Joseph is going to bring.